I can't write a song, but I can give the guy the lyrics. I can tell him my story. And what's right. wonderful is that on these three CDs he's done so far, is the veteran can talk to a musician. They get acquainted. Somebody's listening to their story, and then they put it to music. It's revolutionary. It's healing. And it works. I just would encourage folks to make those kind of connections, either for themselves, with somebody else, writing groups. We had one. They helped. Maybe talk to, you know, reach out to Jason Moon and Warrior Songs and get yourself connected with a musician because you can't do it alone. You, you're, you know, this is a journey you can't take by yourself because you want to get back into society. You want to get back with your family and your loved ones. Welcome to the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Our mission is to help veterans and their family members transition from military to civilian life and culture. As best we can, we avoid stigmatizing names and terms. We feature conversations with those who have encountered unexpected reactions in their journey, including nightmares, rage, and isolation. Participants in our segments share experiences that make them uniquely qualified to join the quest to identify, understand, and resolve these enormous life challenges. Stigma-Free Vet Zone is brought to you by the Orban Foundation for Veterans. Learn more by visiting the Veterans.org and donations are always welcome at the Veterans.org slash donate. Thank you for embarking on this educational journey with the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Here's today's segment. Music means a lot of things to a lot of people in many different ways. I'm Scott Schultz, today hosting another edition of Stigma-Free Vet Zone, and we're with Doug Bradley. If anybody in this world knows about what I just mentioned, it's Doug Bradley. He wrote the book on it, along with a fellow named Craig Warner. The book is named, We Gotta Get Out of This Place, the soundtrack of the Vietnam War. Hello, Doug. How are you? Great, Scott. It's good to be with you. And uh, yeah, that's a great intro because you, know, you and I could have a lot to talk about, about getting back into society, uh, you know, reorientation, decompression. But for me, it would all come back to music. So I'm glad I'm glad to be here, and I'm glad we can talk about that because I don't care when your service was and what your war was. Music, I think, is essential. You know, you're remembering that experience, but maybe making that transition back home. Let's talk about Doug for a minute, if we could, because you were assigned to war, I guess, as we say. Not Marine Corps, unfortunately, I guess, but... Uh, <laughs> the lesser service uh we'll let you know that mean, back in that era Scott, you know um we we had a thing called the draft and uh there was a matter of service which a lot of us did and so uh when i got out of college and i had been accepted into law school i had a student deferment but then i didn't have a it didn't extend to graduate school at that time so i was drafted and uh got in the army and they luckily they aligned my skill set. I was an English major in college, a writer. I've been on the campus newspaper, etc. 
So rather than because I was drafted, make me 11 Bravo, which was part of, you know, they, they could have done, which would have been mm-hmm. an infantryman. Uh, they made me an information specialist. So uh, I was an Army journalist, and I worked at the Army Hometown News Center in Kansas. After basic, I went right to the Army Hometown News Center in Kansas City. This was 1970. Um, and then by November, I was in command information headquarters at USERV, which was uh, United States Army Republic. The Army loves acronyms. United States Army Republic of Vietnam, which was at Long Bin, about 15 miles northeast of Saigon. 365 days uh, writing for an Army newspaper and magazine, going out in the field and doing stories, uh, putting the paper together, taking it into Saigon, mailing it to Stars and Stripes in Japan. It, I, I got to say, I know people want to say it just got crazy. It was a great job. I, I honestly believe that when you think of all the kinds of jobs you could have had in the service and in Vietnam, um, I got lucky. I was one of the lucky ones. I had a good job. And I got back home. Without a whole lot of, you know, trauma. I have to say, uh, I know that sort of job well because in the Marine Corps, that was my MOS. And if anybody needs to understand what that uh, MOS is about, uh, look up the movie Full Metal Jacket, and uh, the protagonist is uh, a combat writer who has our job. Like you said, it is a terribly interesting job because you get to see a lot of different people do a lot of different things. You're not stuck with one uh, bunch of guys the whole time. And that aside, while you were there, you you listened to some music probably. All the time. And, you know, Scott, I think what some people forget about that war, especially when you think you mentioned the kind of movies that you did. Sure. War is about killing and sacrifice and death. I mean, that's that's what war is. Mm-hmm. But service in wartime is other things as well. And for, you know, all the guys in the field, there were five or six of us in the rear supporting that soldier, whether it was with artillery or, you know, firepower or, you know, helicopters, but also their uniforms, their food, yeah. their logistics, and also their story. You know, there were more of us in the rear than there were guys in the field. And, right. you know, that's a, a crazy war at a crazy time and who knew where the enemy was <laughs> at any given time. Right. We had to keep the morale of the soldiers up to keep our morale up. They gave us creature comforts. And one thing that the army and the military got at that point was we were a generation. Music was in our DNA, the rock and roll music that we grew up on and mm-hmm. took with us over to Vietnam was essential to who we were. It connected us with the guys we were with. It connected us to the people back home. It helped us maybe try to understand what in the heck was going on in the world, which was happening at crazy, frenzied speed. So the music, and for me in the rear, now a guy in the field, you know, silence is what you need. Maybe when you rotate out, you're getting some music. You could hear coming out of a helicopter on the on the on the band, the radio band on the house. But in the rear, we had Armed Forces Radio 24/7. Some DJs were better than others, but you could get your music. We had pirate radio. We had guys mm-hmm. that would just find a wavelength to put their own station up. We had live acts, Filipino, Vietnamese, um, South Korean. You know, they couldn't speak English, but they could play a set list. You know, right. we had guys, we had guys in the hoots with guitars. We had Bob Hope. We had acts coming. You know, James Brown came to Vietnam. Johnny Cash came to Vietnam. So my point is lucky guys like me had access to music all the time. And 
you know, we had radios and we had real, 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 real tape decks and cassettes, radio and music that was constant. So, um, yeah, it kept me going, kept me alive. I didn't realize till I got back home how essential it was. I didn't realize till 40 years later when I started this journey of interviewing vets who still couldn't talk about the experience, but could talk about a song, how powerful, mm-hmm. how enormously powerful the music of that era was and is. That power, I found it interesting because in some ways I, I was uh, thinking earlier, the music part has been part of the American military experience since day one in one form or another. There was a drummer, a fife player, something going on with music of some sort. It's kind of been my impression that it really started cranking up um, during maybe World War One, where where some of the iconic songs came from, and certainly World War II. And when you mentioned the idea of how it affects us, I've always wondered if it's all a positive effect even. You know, you think about uh, some of the Christmas shows and everything. Uh, when When Silent Night hits and you're on the other side of the earth, and that doesn't matter if you're in a combat zone or what, you miss home and and that makes you kind of sappy and so there's the lightness and uh in vietnam there was also another factor and that was kind of the anti-war-ish uh songs and maybe we got to get out of this place the iconic song of the era might have been right at the top of that list (laughs) uh yeah i mean Really good points uh, that you make. And, and to go back to the, the first thing you said, music has always been with us and oftentimes associated with war. Some of the early science that they're doing about, you know, how our brains work and sound and memory, that the beat of marching and getting mm-hmm. getting soldiers to go into battle was maybe one of the most the earliest and most essential songs. It connects to your heart, it connects to your march, it connects to your physicality, and then away you go. You talked about, and so it's been a part of every war. The thing about Vietnam was that, I mean, you could hear some of those songs in World War II, but you didn't hear it often or always. You didn't have it intersecting with your service and your life all the time. In Vietnam, like I said, because they wanted us to have it, it was there. You go to Iraq and Afghanistan, the guys put their headphones on, and they jack up their MP3 players and they put something that's going to jack them up on as they're on the Humvee. It's not scared. So the, the beauty of our war was having all that great music. Beauty is the right word. Having it shared by all of us, including the folks that weren't there. The people back home were listening to the same songs I was listening to in Vietnam and vice versa. So it made for a real powerful cocktail. Now your last part. Your last point, that's the whole thing about music. There are some songs that can bring me to tears as soon as I hear them, um, and always will. Those are memories that sometimes those are those places, the sad places you don't want to go into. And yeah. when we, you know, among all the people we interviewed for the book, sometimes there were guys that just sort of stopped and said, I, I can't go, I can't talk anymore because it's yeah. too painful. And they didn't want to keep talking about Dock of the Bay or leaving on a jet plane or 
you know, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. That happens. That mm-hmm. happens. Um, in, in and out of service, but it can be more powerful. The memory that's associated with that is losing a buddy, a comrade, your best friend. Um, and your final point, all that music, it was like almost like a cacophony of sound. I know historians now, and you know, you and I are 50 years out from when we were there, more than 50 years. They like to go back and say, this song was about this, and all these people, Bob Dylan and Joan Baez and Buffy St. Marie and Edwin Starr were anti-war people, and all these people over here, Merle Haggard and Johnny Cash, were, no, it was way more gray than that. Some of those songs were funny. Some of them were intended Country Joe songs. I feel like I'm fixing to die rag, which seems blasphemy and, and anti-military was gallows humor. Joe intended that song to make guys who were in tough situations get a kick out of it, you know, laugh. Yeah. We're all going to die. I mean, what what does soldiers do when they're in a tough and the tent, they laugh sometimes. So it, it's a little, it's way more complicated. That's not to say that, you know, some of the stuff wasn't intended to be anti-war. Yeah. Right. But the fact that, you know, I hated somebody because of that, or they were on the wrong side all the time, that gets a little different. One that I think of a lot is Jimi Hendrix playing the Star Spangled Banner at <laughs> um, at Woodstock, and and you think, what's with this guy? This guy was a ranger. He, he jumped that airplane. That's where that line, excuse me, why I kiss the sky comes from. Because when you're a paratrooper and you jump, it's called kissing the sky. Mm-hmm. And what a lot of people don't know, Scott, is, I mean, just... If you want to get a sense of Vietnam, listen to that, because you've got helicopters, machine guns, you've got all the different military songs. And two of the guys who were on stage with Hendrix at Woodstock were Vietnam vets. Larry Lee and Buddy Miles had both been. So, I mean, this guy got as crazy as he was, and you're thinking like, well, you know, this guy's anti-war if anybody. Hey. He knew what Vietnam was like. He he sounded like Vietnam. It's yeah. a really good point. Yeah. Cacophony. It's a great word. And yeah. a barrack situation for guys our age. You mentioned uh, they slap the headphones on now. And it's, it's individualized. Um, but I, being a farm kid from central Wisconsin, might not have been into Motown, but by the time I turned around, hey, Motown was okay because it was getting played. You crossed a lot of genres in your barracks. Totally agree. And that's part of the experience we were able to talk about in the book. The interesting thing is sometimes in tense situations, music could be that glue, you know, that connection. And like you said, I you're not the only one that we didn't get you in the book, but you, you like the guys we interviewed. One of the guys I interviewed from Wisconsin said he all he listened to is polka music. You know, so mm-hmm. he gets in a unit where they're not only listening to Motown, but they're listening to sort of Cream and The Doors. And he's it, like, holy, he said, my whole world just exploded and changed. And, <laughs> the, and the reason he listened to those songs, because it was the guys he was serving with. And if they liked it and he was serving with them and they were protecting one another, maybe I'm missing something. Now, I don't know if he turned them on to polka music, but <laughs> turned him on like they, like you got turned on the Motown. And 
that my, the other point I was going to make is there were other occasions, though, where we had guys talk about uh, fights over the jukebox in Vietnam. You know, mm-hmm. if some guy goes up there and he's going to play Detroit City by Bobby Bear one more time with I Want to Go Home. Somebody throws a bottle at him or goes up and plays Sam and Dave. And the next thing you know, there's a little ruckus. So <laughs> music could do that, too. But I'd say for the most part and the most of what we heard from the guys we talked to, it was more like your story. It's like my whole understanding of music, it, it, what I listened to expanded greatly. And it goes both ways. I didn't listen to country music. I grew up in Philly, mm-hmm. went to high school in Pittsburgh. I'm like an, I'm all R&B and doo-wop and soul. And I get, you mm-hmm. know, I'm, I'm serving with guys. And that's how I got to learn, you know, more about Merle Haggard and Johnny Cash. Those were the guys that they were listening to. They were my guys. So I got acclimated. Is there a positive or a negative uh, when we talk about the new era people who aren't getting that mix experience uh, or it's just what it is? No, it is. And we, when we taught our class based on this topic in the book to young kids. Uh, Talk uh, about your class quickly, if you could, before. I will. Uh, Because uh, the kids that are coming in are born like you know, late nineties, early two thousands. Uh, so Vietnam could be the Peloponnesian War, but they know the music because all the music of all time is accessible, and they like that stuff. It's good. They hear it. They hear it from their parents and their grandparents, and they know Marvin Gaye and Aretha and Brown and the Doors and Dylan and everybody. So it's a great way for us to then take their knowledge of music to connect it to a veteran story, then to begin to tell the story of Vietnam. We had two GAs in the class, teaching assistants who help you with the small groups and help you with grading, et cetera. A wonderful thing to have when you're teaching. And they were both a rock vet, black guy from Brooklyn, a white kid from Minnesota. And when the kids would ask them what their soundtracks were like, they talked about what we just talked about. You know, they had their own list, their own playlist. But when they talked about whenever they shared music, more of the guys in their unit, and you know, they were there earlier in the 2004, 5, 6, but when they shared any any music, it was CCR, it was Johnny Cash, you know, it was Aretha, you know, it was the Doobie Brothers. I mean, so it was back to our music, which is kind of interesting. And I, you know, I know I'm biased and prejudiced because I think it's the greatest music ever. But, you know, <laughs> they all talked to each other then, the musicians, they played. If you go back and look at some of those old sessions, how in the heck does Willie Nelson end up with Frank Sinatra? You know, how does... How does Leon Russell end up with Johnny Cash? You know, it happens. And I still teach this to uh, adults. You know, I teach mainly user classes, both uh, in Wisconsin and Arizona. And it's folks our age, and it's about the music and the stories. And I think it's just music's going to outlast us, Scott. It's always going to be there. The classes you were referring to, by the way, were at UW-Madison, right? Correct. Go to that transition time. How many people did you interview? How many Vietnam veterans do you think you interviewed? Oh, gosh, I think, you know, three, four hundred, probably. And, you know, sometimes they were were just like this, you know, get acquainted. This is back. We started this, Scott, 2004, 2005. Mm -hmm. So this is even before the Internet was robust and you could text and Instagram. So we were, you know, they used to have, um, you know, uh, groups, uh, you know, that, uh, on online and you know you had to mm-hmm. somebody had to vet you to get into one of those groups luckily i was a vet you don't just jump into somebody's life and say hey what's your song 
and they start to tell you a very powerful experience, and then you, you know, goodbye. No, you we you need to spend time with them. So I think we probably could have and wanted to interview more guys, but the fact that we spent so much time, and then the further we got along and the more vetted we got, you know, friends were giving us to friends, guys were inviting us into presentations and groups, but some of the first guys that we had interviewed were passing away. You yeah. know, some of the early interviews, because, you know, we all had trauma. We all had Agent Orange exposure. Craig and I just sort of realized, you know what, we got to get this out there because uh, mm-hmm. we want to do this for the guys that we interviewed who are still with us because too many had passed on. That's the generation we're in. You and I are becoming an aberration because the older we get, the less of us there are. Fewer mm-hmm. Vietnam vets every day. Stories, the stories about the music. I do a lot of work interviewing veterans for this and for other projects, the High Ground Veterans Memorial. We were their program. And I do writing projects with veterans, trying to get them to open and heal after all these years, or the newer vets, of course, more recently, but to open their stories up. Music has that power, doesn't it? Uh, you get somebody, like you said, talking about music. They might say stop, but they do get rolling when the music starts. I couldn't agree more. I, and I, of course, you're in my wheelhouse here because you're talking about writing and music, which is pretty much what I do. And I, you know, when we started this, it's no longer exists, but you can still get back copies through the Wisconsin Veterans Museum, uh, the Deadly Writers Patrol. Right. It was all about, uh, you know, we ourselves trying to process what we've been through um, and to work on that. It's one way to do it. You know, for some people, it's hiking or going out in nature or it's, you know, dogs or it's horses. For me, it was writing and music. And for some vets, it is. And it's a great way into that and maybe a way home. I just would encourage, you know, guys who are still trying, and women who are, are finding that transition difficult, maybe try and write about it. Maybe it might be a poem or a memoir. It might just be a little fragment, or it might be a song. You know, I don't mm-hmm. know if you're familiar with Jason Moon and Warrior songs. Jason's in a rock vet, two tours, okay. tried to commit suicide. His only way out was music. And he made a CD um, mainly for himself and his own healing, which he shared with guys he served with. Then he did another one about women who served. This last book, last uh, CD he did, and all his CDs are free to veterans. It's called The Last Thing We Ever Do, which is a line from We Got to Get Out of This right. Place. And it was all Vietnam vets. And what he did, Scott, was he would pair veterans like me and you with musicians. I can't write a song, but I can give the guy the lyrics. I can tell him my story. And what's right. wonderful is that on these three CDs he's done so far is the veteran and talk to a musician, they get acquainted. Somebody's listening to their story, and then they put it to music. It's revolutionary. It's healing. I mean, it works. I just would encourage folks to make those kind of connections, either for themselves, with somebody else, writing groups. We had one. They help. Maybe talk to, you know, reach out to Jason Moon and Warrior Songs and get yourself connected with a musician, because you can't do it alone. You, you know, this is a journey you can't take by yourself, because you want to get back into society. You want to get back with your family and your loved ones. They have work to do too, but you can't do it by yourself. And it's one of the big things we've been doing at the High Grown Veterans Memorial Park at Nielsville, working with families. You mentioned families, and 
first line of defense for us is our family. And unfortunately, the first line of uh, people who receive our pain too are the families and so on. Couldn't agree more. And the family goes to war, not just the soldier and uh, the Marine. And I think we've gotten better about that. I mean, we mm-hmm. talk better about it, whether or not in practice it's, mm-hmm. it's better because we know what it what it's like. You know, it was a saying in war, there are no unwounded soldiers. So how we get back as vets and and our families get back, too, and we can get back together and our communities. That's what I love about you know, Native American cultures. I just spent a lot of time in Arizona, and you know, we interviewed a lot of uh, Native American vets who have this warrior tradition, but they still have to make the transition that we do, but the whole tribe will bring them back. They'll right. have rituals around water or gourd dances or you know whatever, but it's, it's a purification. It's a reassimilation. It's a healing ritual they'll do. Doesn't mean it's not bumpy, but unlike what we had to deal with, we came back to Vietnam and still happens too often to people coming back just by themselves is the the community helps to make that transition. We all have work to do. Civilians, families, the veterans, because if we're going to keep sending people off to war, we need to bring them back home. You bet. Well, Doug, thanks a lot for visiting with us again today and tell us quickly how to get a hold of your book. It's real easy. I mean, it's everywhere. I mean, I'd love to give local bookstores the business. They should probably have it. But, you know, Amazon, uh, anywhere online, you can get a Kindle version. Uh, There's an audio version for guys that, you know, have trouble reading anymore. And you just go to my website, which is Doug-Bradley.com. There's another Doug Bradley who made horror movies. I'm the Doug Bradley Vietnam. (laughs) And you can find it there, too. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Doug. And Thanks for you all for joining us on another edition of Stigma Free Vet Zone. As always, I'd like to remind you that if you're having any kind of crisis situation in your personal being, pick up that phone, dial a friend, or if it's really serious, get on that phone and dial 988 prompt 1. Get some help. Don't hesitate at all. Again, thanks, Doug. And on behalf of the Orban Foundation for Veterans, I'm Scott Schultz. Thank you for listening to the Stigma Free Vet Zone podcast. Your feedback is welcomed and encouraged. You'll find contact information on our webpage, OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org. While you're there, please consider making a contribution. Donations help us continue to bring greater hope, understanding, and resolution on issues of civilian readjustment for all military veterans and families. Anyone who donates to the podcast will receive a free copy of the book, Sold Out, Conquering the Experiences of War by Michael Orban. Thanks for joining us, and please tune in again.